Lord Jesus, today we come together as your family, as the redeemed, as the newborn, recreated body of our Christ. We come together each at different places in our own spiritual journey, but all seeking to be set apart for your glory, all seeking your kingdom rule in our lives. Well, Lord, we ask then that our prayers would reflect our trust in your rule over creation, even our lives. We pray that our requests would be fitting and appropriate to the king of creation, to the one who has overcome all of the things that are of the most consequence to us, the problem of sin and death. We come before you, Lord, admitting that in our fleshly weakness, in our human uh, struggle, we need your help with simple things. We need your help with our bad habits. We need your help with our stressors, work-related things, family-related things, community things. We, we come together admitting that our flesh is weak and our spirits are willing, and therefore we're looking for your spirit to enter into ours and to make us strong against these weaknesses. But as we say that, Lord, we also admit that you wept when widows wept. You laughed when there was a good catch of fish. You were troubled by the pain that people endured. And you hated oppression. And so we know, Lord, that in this sin-tainted world, we are ambassadors from another kingdom, but we're still dealing with the stuff of this world. So help us, Lord, with sickness, with injury, with death. Help us, Lord, we pray, with social problems, political problems, national and local. Help us, Lord, in our families and in our church family. Help us to find your way of peace and a holistic restoration. God, help us as we are confronted daily by the devil's taunts and his eagerness to sap what faith we have from us. Strengthen us, Lord, from our weakness and make us courageous enough to look at the devil and say, I have all authority over you because my Savior has all authority over you. And I condemn you and reject you. Then having done so, Lord, give us the courage to walk toward you in every moment and every day. Oh God, hear us as we pray privately and silently for things that are especially acute in our lives and as we mourn those who have passed away, those who are worshiping with you today, we celebrate lives well lived, but we also grieve our loss and this temporary separation that we will experience. 
Lord, there's so much that we could talk about today as we just pour ourselves out at your altar of grace. And yet, Lord, you have made it simple for us by giving us words to say that came directly from your heart and mind, your mouth. And so together we say them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please make sure that you fill out that uh, tear-off portion of your bulletin. Let us know that you're here today. Anything else you'd like to share with us. And don't forget about the app and its resources because those are really handy even now if you want to follow along with the sermon notes or look at that study guide or read the Bible. It's all on the app. We're going to use the Bible in a minute, but I'd like to begin first with some introductory words. So today is the beginning of a series of sermons that are directed especially at men. I'm pretty sure that I can do this without leaving the women out, so it'll be okay, ladies, I think, for you to listen in. Um, this comes the day after we had our men's simulcast event yesterday. I'm happy to report that we had about 45 men. We had a morning of challenging and inspiring talks from a variety of people well-known and some lesser known, and they were really powerful. We had a great breakfast, and then we had a wonderful fish fry lunch afterwards. And uh, it really was just a great time for the men of Shiloh to be together. And I see many of your faces here. I challenged those men yesterday to come back for these messages and to be here throughout the weeks ahead and to participate in the life of the church in particular as we have extended opportunities for men that will be presenting, as I said, challenges each week and other events that we think will be a particular blessing to the men to help us grow together in our faith journey. Um, this series of messages, I, I, I wanna make sure that everybody's clear that, that uh, I acknowledge the fact that we men are all kind of easily distracted and then slip back into our regular patterns. So if you went to the men's event or you feel challenged by these messages, there's always a risk that you kind of will just go back to doing what you always do unless there are certain constant reminders to press on and to try to make new decisions and do new things. But I want you to know they're not going to be delivered with guilt trips and brow beatings, okay? That's not the way I roll. And I don't respond well to that either. So, you know, I, I know the women are listening, men, but I'm gonna say this anyway. Guilt trips and brow beatings, it just makes men shut down. You know, so it ain't gonna happen from up here, I'll tell you that now. <laughs> but we are gonna speak truth in love. And we're gonna talk more about that this morning. This series of messages that we're gonna engage in now, I'm calling the Spirit-Filled Life, and each one will have a different theme but they'll all be based on that idea that a spirit-filled life begins with new birth in the spirit. So the first thing that we need to do 
is understand what it means to be a spirit-filled believer. So I want to read from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now, if you'd like to follow along, I'd be happy for you to. It's on page 1055 in your pew Bible, 1055. And the first thing I want to establish is what a spirit-filled life is. So we look at John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, to get our understanding of that. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so this must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And that's John chapter 3. So what is a spirit-filled life? What Jesus was describing to Nicodemus was really very simple. It sounds a little confusing, but if you just think about it in the most practical sense. And most of you, if you've been around labor and childbirth, you understand that when Jesus says you have to be born of water, and then he says in the next sentence, flesh gives birth to flesh. That's what he's describing, is childbirth. He's describing birth. If you've been around any mammals who have live births, you know that there's an issue of water that always comes at the time of birth. And this is really all he's describing. It's that simple. And the reason we know this is because he qualified it by saying flesh gives birth to flesh. But he also said to Nicodemus, unless you're born of water and the spirit, and then he says, spirit gives birth to spirit. So he's basically, Jesus has said, you have a human existence that starts the natural way, and that's your flesh. And you have a spiritual existence that begins at the moment you're born again. And that's what he's trying to tell Nicodemus. And Nicodemus Oh, I don't know. I expect we might see him in heaven one day. I think he eventually got it. 
But at this moment, he's really struggling. He's trying to understand Jesus' meaning because in the tradition of the Jews, especially in those days, the understanding is, is that when you die, you die, and the resurrection comes eventually, but there's no, like, in-between. There's no sort of spiritual existence, you know, and, and it's almost as though your, your being or your soul is sort of put on a shelf indefinitely until the coming of the Messiah. And so he's having a hard time understanding what he's being told. But the thing we need to know, man, is that to have a spirit-filled life, you have to be born again of the spirit. You have to have this ignition of something inside you that sort of burns up the, the, the entirely human sense of being and replaces it with a spiritual being. Young's literal translation describes Jesus' words, I think, in the most accurate way. He says, unless you're born from above. So what he's saying is, is that at some point, this living human being that we are, in order to be born again, must invite birth of a different kind in us. Birth that comes from above, from God. And that's why Peter said it this way. He said, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So he's driving home the point that this spiritual birth, this spirit-filled life begins at a moment when something unseen and invisible happens, but something that is real, very real. A spirit-filled life begins with surrender. A spirit-filled life starts with death. You know, that's a hard one to hear, but it's the truth. Because according to the Apostle Paul, you have to be willing to die to yourself in order to be born again. This is not an easy thing to hear, but it is the formula for a spirit-filled life. Give up your pursuit of self-fulfillment. Give up your identity in the sense that you are a self-made person. This is a town full of entrepreneurs and there are lots of signs of entrepreneurial su success around this community. And I imagine that there are people who would take great pride in saying, I am a self-made success. And I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings by calling them out on that. I'm just simply saying that's probably true. There are probably a great number of successes that have occurred in our realm here that could be attributed to the hard work and ingenuity of self-made successes. And yet, in order to be born again, that's the first thing that has to go. Doesn't mean there won't be success. It doesn't mean that you have, everything you've worked for doesn't count, but it means that the self-identity changes. It means that devotion to your self-interests, pride in your personal achievements and attainments has to die. That's what the Apostle Paul means when he says, you must die in order to be born again.
And so everybody goes to the same launch point in order to begin a spirit-filled life. And the launch point is surrender. It's the willingness to admit that your life is not your own. The Lord brought you into this world and the Lord can take you out. Understanding that in a moment, everything that you've worked to accomplish and attain can be taken away from you and you can become a distant memory and of little consequence to those who follow you. Once you start thinking like that, it's not that hard to get to the next point where you realize that there has to be more than this. There has to be more than this life and its victories and its glory. There has to be more because if there isn't, then why do we do this? And at that moment, you're probably really close to surrender. At that moment, you have an opportunity to admit that when you stand before your creator, you are incomplete, you're inadequate. When you stand before your creator, you would have to acknowledge that while God created you, you have given God very little attention during your lifetime. You'll have to admit that You've only called upon God when you truly felt powerless in a certain situation. And that's why, by the way, I told Courtney this morning, I don't believe in atheists. And everybody always chuckles when I say that, but I'm dead serious because to me, there are no atheists in foxholes as it has been said throughout the ages. At a moment of desperation, when you feel powerless over your circumstances, you'll call on someone or something bigger than yourself. People do it all the time, and they might say, I don't believe in the Christian God, I don't believe in the Jewish God, I, I don't believe in church, I don't, that, that's fine. But when you become powerless over your circumstances, you will call upon a higher power. And no one who has ever overcome addiction, for example, ever successfully did so without calling upon a higher power. That's a fact. Therefore, the beginning of spirit-filled life is death to yourself. Now, you can wait until you're in that situation where you're desperate, or you can just go ahead and push the button now. <laughs> you could just go ahead and say, okay, I assume that even though I don't feel particularly desperate right now, I probably am guilty of thinking that I'm in control of my destiny. And then you pray, God, I, I, I want to take the pastor's words to heart. I want to take the apostle Paul's words to heart. And I'm having trouble right now. I'm blinded by my own pride. I'm blinded by the enemy who is the essence of pride. And I want to hear with new ears and I want to be changed with an open mind and spirit. So would you begin to work on me? Be careful though, because if you want to have a spirit-filled life and you pray a prayer like that, you'll get what you prayed for. I once prayed for patience. Every day I prayed for patience and God gave me daughters. 
Yeah, you've heard me say that before. But imagine having one that's stuck in adolescence for the remainder of her life. God thought I really needed to work on patience. And I thank God for the answer to my prayer. Patience has changed everything for me. Now, to this scripture reading for today. If you have had the opportunity to begin a spirit-filled life, there are certain disciplines associated with the spirit-filled life. Now, first of all, when we turn to Ephesians, which, by the way, is one of the greatest books of the Bible. I guess that's kind of a strange thing to say since they're all pretty good. But when we look at Ephesians and Galatians, we get some incredibly important instruction for our lives and the structure upon which this new way of living is built. So, for example, and we'll just start right here at the beginning of Ephesians. Um, look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Any questions? He's not as nice as I just was. I told you as nicely as I could that you have to recognize that a spirit-filled life doesn't begin until you admit that your life, as much as it is self-made and determined by your will, is, well, it's a life of resistance to the Creator, who desires that you would be submitted to the Creator's authority. Paul says it in no uncertain terms. If you do not worship God, then by default, you're worshiping the enemy. Now, that doesn't mean that he's declaring you a Satan worshiper, because in the truth of it all, the enemy is not just the one who is actively dedicated to the resistance of God. The real enemy is what drove Satan to be who Satan is in the first place, and the enemy is pride. The enemy's always pride. It's always the self-determination. It's always this belief that I am in control. I know what I'm doing. I've got this. It starts when you're like four years old and, and you've heard your children and grandchildren say this, right? Me, do it myself. And it goes from there, right? Paul says in his letter, to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now have in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For sin, he says in Romans, will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. How did he get from by default, you are resisting God and full of yourself, and therefore, by default, a servant of the enemy. To, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. How'd that happen? Well, in his case, he got knocked off his horse and onto his keister. That's a word I grew up with in Pittsburgh. It, it means your backside, in case you're not sure. I mean, just want to make sure you're 
You know, some of you aren't as cultured as I am. You might not know what keister means, but come on, laugh. I'm not trying to, you know. So, uh, you can't have pride and do this job successfully, I can tell you that right now. God will bring you down, I guarantee it. Now we get to what he says in Ephesians when Paul tells us the secret to this new life. And that's today's reading as it's scheduled. Ephesians 4, we're going to read 17 to 32. That's 1161 in your pew Bible. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Do you hear that? They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give, a, give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So far we've learned then that if you want to have a spirit-filled life, the first thing that has to happen is you have to die to yourself. And I know I make it sound simple, but for whatever reason, some of us do it very quickly and some of us come about it very slowly. But whatever you do, ask the Lord to begin to bring about the death of your pride. That's the first thing you do. And then at some moment, and you'll know, I promise you, you'll know for sure, fellas, it will hit you like a ton of bricks that you are nothing before your Creator. And that if you plan to stand in the presence of your creator after your body is buried in the ground, then you know you aren't worthy. And you need something that makes you worthy. And what could make you worthy except the precious blood of Jesus Christ? I'm warming up for tomorrow, Phil. Mary wanted me to preach a good gospel sermon in her memory. And here it is, friends. Jesus is the one 
who makes you able to stand in the presence of your creator and your sin is no longer visible. Your resistance to God is no longer apparent because he has covered it all by his one and only act that no one else in all of time and space and existence of everything that is created, no one else has been able to do this but Jesus. When you accept that truth, you've begun the new life in Christ. You've been born again. And then it's a matter of pursuing the new life. I know many people who will say that I remember distinctly being born again, but they also will admit that they're not living like they are born again. And this is why I wrap this up with a couple of key points, especially for men. You see, the Apostle Paul says in a few different places that we should speak truth in love. Now, I've heard the Christianized version of that, and I'm not very impressed with it, if you want to know the truth, because sometimes people have come up to the preacher to say something really hurtful and mean, and when they see the hurt on my face, they'll say, I'm saying it in Christian love. And I just kind of want to say that in Christian love, I got a few things I'd like to say to you. And then the temptation goes away and I try to live like I am a born again believer who is better than that. But don't think for a minute that being human doesn't occasionally have its moments. <laughs> and I can tell you that, you know, even as I've pursued these many, many decades, these years and years, holiness in my own heart, I am still as a victim of sin and temptation as anybody. It's just that one by one, the sins are being overcome. But when somebody hurts you because they think they're speaking truth in love and then it really isn't love and it really isn't true, it's a problem. And so what I want to talk about today is that real truth in love that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And here's how you'll recognize it, men. Because if there's one thing a man can't stand, it's being bullied by guilt trips and browbeating. I said that at the start, and I'm coming back to it now. Most of us men have bosses. If you don't think you have a boss, then you're wrong. I'll tell you why I know this. Because sooner or later, your doctor is going to be your boss. Your doctor is going to say, if you don't do what I say, you're going to suffer. See, sooner or later, your obligations to someone in authority over you will eventually come to the surface. And you'll realize you have bosses all over the place. And honestly, there's, there's just times when bosses aren't very good bosses. And they're just bossy. And they're mean. And they're just, you know, I had a boss that told me one time, and he wasn't kidding. He said, your job is to help me get rich. So get out there and do your job. And then he felt a little guilty for saying it. So he said, because, you know, if I get rich, you'll get rich too. And isn't that what we're here for? See, it didn't even occur to him that we might want to talk about what we sell and why we sell it and how it makes people's lives better. Because honestly, if you're not selling something that makes people's lives better, then they're not motivated to buy it. But that's a whole other story. So sooner or later, we have to admit we all have bosses. 
And sooner or later, we're going to have to answer to those bosses for what we did or didn't do. If you're not living a healthy lifestyle, sooner or later, you're going to be answering to your doctor about your life and how it's probably going to be shortened because of the bad habits you refused to submit to a higher authority. In the same way, you'll see marriages, even long marriages, fail. You'll see relationships with children and friends and, and relationships with organizations and places like this fade and break apart and fall away because you didn't subject yourself to a higher authority than yourself. So men, we don't like being browbeat or guilted, but you know what we usually do pretty well is we do like the, you know, like the football players, right? You know, pat them on the bum and say, get up, do it again. Hit them harder this time. We do that. We like sportsmanship and the camaraderie that we see in sporting and in military and in team enterprises of different kinds. We like that. So here's what I want to tell you about Paul's admonition to speak truth in love. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about reminding each other who you are and where you're trying to get to. To speak the truth in love is one man saying to another, there's where we're going. I know you're tired, but let's do this. We can get there. That's, that's why we need to be accountable, men. I want you to understand that I'm very aware that men don't want to get together on a weekly basis and bring casseroles and bring gifts for their other friends and the, the fellas around the circle. You ladies do that, and it's great. It's like... I think it's wonderful, but men, we don't do that, right? But you know what? While we're fixing something that's broken, and we own the fact that temptation to tell somebody in Christian love what you really think of them was tough this week, and the other guy says, I know, but remember who we are and where we're going. You can do that, can't you? That's truth in love. That's exactly what Paul is saying right here in Truth and Love. He's saying, don't forget who you are. That's why you don't live the way you used to anymore. That's why you don't do what you used to do anymore. He's not saying that he isn't just as guilty on any given day. He's just saying, when I'm struggling, you remind me. And when you're struggling, I'll remind you. Because you know it's been said that that's all preaching really is. I've heard it in preaching classes, you know, is that we don't really get up to tell you things that you don't know. Most of the time we're telling things you do know, even if it's just instinctive. And this is your weekly reminder. So we could change this. We've changed volunteer to world changers. We could change sermon to reminder. Good morning, friends. Today's reminder is called the Spirit-Filled Life because it's a reminder Okay, I got to wrap this up because I'm running out of time and I got more notes and thoughts than I have time. This is my passion, men, and it doesn't seem like I struggle with these things because you've been watching people like me do this for a living for a long time, but I promise you, you don't have to do this for a living in order to live this way. In fact, it's harder sometimes in my setting because I don't have some of the same challenges but I do have a lot of people with unfair and unrealistic expectations sometimes because I do this for a living. So, you know, we all struggle with stuff. But here's what I know. 
God doesn't want you to give up your fishing, your hunting, your ball games, and the various things that you enjoy, but God wants you to have a spirit that is willing to give them up. If you're given a choice on any given day, you would make that choice based on who's most important in your life and what is most important in your life. Men, I want to acknowledge something right now that if I don't say this, I'd be untrue to myself. I am very aware because I've even got a son that has told me this. But some men would rather face an angry grizzly bear than the risk of one hour of boredom on Sunday morning. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Some men would rather face down a hurricane than go to church on Sunday morning and risk having to sit still for about 30 minutes while some dude stands up there and talks about things that are probably not that interesting anyway. As though that 30 minutes of boredom is going to kill them. Can I get an amen? This is an irrational thought, men. You're here, so it's like I'm talking to the ones who don't, you know, have a problem with that. But could we, could we reach those people in our world, those people we like, and say, you think you're pretty tough, don't you? You think you could take on the whole entire Taliban yourself today. But I'll bet you're not brave enough to go into that sanctuary and sit on your keister, new word for your vocabulary, for 45 minutes without moving too much, you probably don't have the guts to do that. You probably aren't brave enough to do that, but you'd, you'd go out there, you know, with a BB gun against a cougar, because you're that tough. See what I'm talking about? It's sort of ironic, isn't it? So men, let's hold each other accountable. That's the message today. We have to be accountable to somebody, or we're never going to change the things that need to change and move toward the things that we desperately need to move toward. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts. Change us, we pray. Amen.